All right, I gotta start off and say something tonight. So, you guys saw Rich up here, my disciple. I had no idea which was on the panel tonight, right? That wasn't a setup to make me look good before I came up here and spoke tonight. Thank you, Kenny, for the setup there, Brandon, for the setup there. I, I, I love you guys, appreciate it, but, but that was not planned. And, and Rich's compliments, man, they, it's the glory to do, do to God. Um, I've had the, the privilege of discipling um, several guys here at MBT and Wyatt over there and Rich. And um, man, I can just tell you, those guys were successful because they were faithful, right? They were faithful guys. I didn't, I didn't have to drag Wyatt to discipleship. I got to drag his shorts down sometimes, but I did not have to <laughs> drag him to discipleship. Um, neither with Rich, man, they were excited. They, uh, what they heard from the Word of God, man, they, they took it and those guys lived it out. So, uh, good evening. We're going to be in Judges chapter 2 tonight, so turn your Bibles there. If you, uh, if you happen to catch yesterday's promo video for tonight, uh, you know that we're going to be talking about the cost of failing to make disciples. Right? The cost of failing to make disciples. Right? What are the results when we as a church fail to make disciples? Right? As a church, we, we spend a good amount of time talking about the cost of discipleship. Right? What does it cost you and what does it cost me to personally follow Christ with our life? Right? But on the flip side of that, I don't, I don't think that we give enough thought and enough time, maybe enough discussion, to what are the results? What are the consequences when we as a church fail to accomplish the mission that God has given us to make disciples? And so we're going to look at that tonight. Now you might be asking yourself, why are we going to the book of Judges to learn about discipleship? Right? Isn't discipleship just a New Testament concept? So if you, if you happen to turn into yesterday's devotional, you should already be at one step ahead of this because Pastor Kenny actually hit on this. Right? The fact that discipleship is not just a New Testament concept. Right? So I'm just going to expand upon what Kenny said yesterday. Right? In fact, the mission of God of reproducing sons of God in the image of God has always been the same. Since Genesis chapter 1, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth, producing sons of God that would bear the image of God. In Genesis chapter 9, God gave Noah a similar commission when he said to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth. And in the New Testament, Christ commissioned his disciples to do the same thing. Right? To bear fruit through evangelism and then to reproduce sons of God, to multiply sons of God who would bear the image of God through discipleship. Now, a common passage that we go to to see that is Matthew chapter 28, right? But we see this in each one of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts and 2 Timothy up here that you see on the wall. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Right? That is evangelism. That is to preach the Gospel, to win people to Christ. And those that respond, we're going to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we're going to teach them to observe all things. 
whatsoever I have commanded you. And that is discipleship. Right? The spiritual reproduction of the sons of God. In the Old Testament, we find several examples of one believer investing their life and their walk in God into another believer. Right? We see this with, with people like Moses and Elijah. We see, I'm sorry, Moses and Joshua. We see this with Elijah and Elisha. But on the flip side of that, we also find failures to make disciples. That is to train up faithful believers that know the Lord and that follow the Lord according to His commands. So before we hop into the text tonight, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dive in. Father, thank You so much for this evening. Thank You, Lord, for the wonderful testimonies that were shared here tonight. Lord, that is all praise and all glory to You. Father, each one of us was lost, and and You sought us. You sought us when we were rebellious. You sought us when we were Your enemies. And You loved us enough to keep pursuing us. And You not only came into our hearts and lives, Lord, and shined the Gospel of Your Son, Lord, You not only laid down His life for our sins, Lord, but God, You haven't stopped that work in us. And the fact that we are a church here tonight, Lord, is is proof of that. It's proof that discipleship exists. It's proof that discipleship works. And so, Father, tonight, help us to hear and receive your words. Lord, I, I have nothing to offer but the things of your word, and, and I know that the power is in your word. And so, Father, would you help everyone here tonight just to hear your words, to receive this very sobering lesson of the cost of failing to make disciples. Lord, may we just sharpen our focus. May we sharpen our zeal for the mission that you've called us here to tonight. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so to give us a little bit of background before we just hop into the book of Judges. Okay, so the book of Judges in your Old Testament, it follows the book of Joshua. Right, now the book of Joshua, it chronicles for us Israel's entrance into the land of Canaan. Right, their conquering of the land of Canaan and ultimately the partitioning of the land amongst the 12 tribes. And we see that history, we see that chronicle repeat itself and extend into Judges chapter 1 and on into Judges chapter 2. And that's actually where we're going to pick it up here tonight, Judges chapter 2, verse 6. Judges chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his own inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works to the Lord that he had did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Heres and in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gosh. And so here we find a generation of people that had seen all the works, all the miracles that God had done in bringing Israel into the land of Canaan. Right from the parting of the Jordan, to the falls of the walls of Jericho, to the defeat of Ai, to the defeat of the five Amorite kings where time itself stood still, and the sun and the moon stopped and stood still to the conquest of Canaan and the dividing of the land amongst the 12 tribes. This generation 
had seen and experienced firsthand what God had done. And as a result, their faith was strong, and they served him all of their days. Now, I want to be clear, this generation was not perfect. Right? They made some compromises, and the compromises that they made affected generations to come. But God's testimony of this generation was that they served him all of their days. Now with that said, in spite of the fact that they served God, one thing that we cannot miss, one truth that we cannot ignore, is that this generation failed to make disciples. And this is important. This is critically important. Because what this shows us is that we can and we often are busy for the Lord and we serve the Lord and yet we fall woefully short of the mission He's actually called us to. Do you get that? Do you get that we can serve God and not actually do what He's called us to? In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Right, in other words, they died, and there arose another generation after them. Get this, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And as a result, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Balaam, and they forsook the God, the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and they bowed themselves unto them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And so what we read here in verse 10, what we find is Israel's failure to make disciples. Again, that is to train up other faithful believers who knew the Lord and who would follow him according to his commands. And as a result, we see Israel fall into a national state of apostasy that would repeat itself over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. Verse 13, it says, And they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. So two things that I want everyone to see here tonight, right, when it comes to the results, the consequences of failing to make disciples. And it's this, right, when we fail to make disciples, it results in future generations that forsake the Lord and that serve other gods. When we, when we fail to make disciples, it results in future generations that forsake the Lord and that serve other gods. Verse 13 says that they, Israel, they forsook the Lord 
Right? Five times we find this indictment from God upon Israel in the book of Judges that they forsook him. And that word forsake, it means to quit, to withdraw from, to leave or abandon. Right? What God is telling us here is that Israel quit him. They left him. They abandoned him. Subtly, I think if we're, we're honest, most of us in this room tonight probably think, that wouldn't be me. That couldn't be us. Not my children. They'll never leave God. I would never forsake God. But I can assure you that those who have once believed and thought the same thing. If I can share with you a, a story about a friend of mine. So this, this gentleman I, I, I met at the gym years ago and, and uh, almost every week without fail we run into each other. And uh, He's an older gentleman. He's, I mean, he's old enough to be my dad, but uh, we have good fellowship with each other. He's a believer in Christ and... Um, Anytime we see each other, it's just good. We catch up on life. He shares with me about his family, my family. We, we joke. We do what guys do. We joke and we give each other a hard time. And I ask him if he's, if he's dying over there when he's doing the leg press or, you know, he, I'm like, are you sleeping? Are you working out? What, you know, what are you doing? But he's a, he's a good guy and uh, good fellowship together. And, and I, I always enjoy seeing him. He's usually full of joy. But I ran into this man a few weeks ago and um, I could tell his, his countenance was down. Right, and so we start talking, and he's sharing with me about his son and, and this appointment he's got. His, his son works for the White House. Probably shouldn't have said that, but um, <laughs> his son's a, a big wig and, and, and with the government, and, and so he's, he's very proud of his children, and he talks about his children, and he brags about his children, but he said, you know, Jason, um, what's really got me down lately is I, is I think back to how we raised our kids. And he said, you know, my wife and I, we always grew up in the church, and we, we knew the Lord, and, and so we raised our kids in the church, and, and I just assumed that they would grow up, and, and, and then having seen that in our, in our own lives, that they would do the same with their family. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm so proud of my kids. You know, they, they all grew up, and they're successful, and they're married, and they have their own kids now, but what, what really bothers me is that none of them are in the church today. You know, none of them read their Bible. None of them really has a walk with God. And, and what really gets me is that they're raising my grandkids that way. He said, I just don't, I, I don't know how that happened, right? We were, we were always in the church. They knew the church was important to us. Like, I thought that they would just follow. And I promise you that there are many in this room tonight who know somebody I, maybe, you, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend who, who have that same testimony. If I can share with you a few just really sobering statistics about the state of the church today. First is this. Since 1960, right, for anybody who's not good at math, that, that's just over 60 years. Right? If, we, if we take a generation to be 30 to 35 years, that's almost two generations, right? 
since 1960, regular church attendance has dropped from nearly 70% to 20% of the population. That's a 70% decrease. 60 years. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, 28% of those that were regular church attenders have not attended in-person services nor watched online services. Now that 28%, that comes out of the 20% that remained. Get this, at least 2.3 million, 2.3 million people leave the church every year. And as a result, 4,000 churches close their doors every single year. And this one might be the most sobering of all, 70%. 70% of all young people that grow up in the church will leave the church by their 20s. 70% of all young people that grow up in the church will leave the church by their 20s. Now I want you to take a second and I want you to look around this room tonight because we have some young people in this room. And if looking around this room doesn't do it for you, I want you to go down and I want you to visit Kidtown tonight. And when you look at their faces, I want you to know this, that statistically speaking, seven out of 10 of those kids will not be in the church by the time they reach their 20s. That is the reality that we face when we fail to make disciples. Just a couple more here. Nearly 60% of churchgoers today hardly ever read their Bible. Right? How do you get a generation of people that don't know the Lord? Will you stop reading the Bible? Finally, nearly 50% of all Americans, right, America, a Christian nation, right, 50% of all Americans today say they are done with God. They have quit God. And the root cause is a failure to make disciples. You see, it's, it's not enough that we just attend church on Sunday mornings. If we fail to train up our children, if we fail to invest the Word of God into them and into the next generation of young believers, if we fail to teach them to have a personal walk with the Lord, to seek Him and to respond when they hear His voice, then we will be the next generation on this board of statistics. Now the second thing that I want you to see tonight, right, is that when we fail to make disciples, 
It results in generations of believers that serve other gods, right? And that's what we call idolatry. In Judges chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And the children of Israel... All right, serving other gods is a sin that the Bible, again, it calls idolatry. Right? And simply put, an idol is a noun, it's a person, a place, a thing, or a thought, right, that takes the place of God in your life. An idol is anyone or anything that competes for your loyalty or becomes the source of your well being or your identity. Now understand this, that not all idols are bad things, right? For example, a, a wife is a good thing, right? right. You know, now I know how Sam feels, right? Sam's up here every week trying to hook you guys up, setting you up with the one-liners, making, I mean, just every opportunity you can get. And this is what you give him, right? <laughs> right? This is the bachelor pad. I mean, come on. Actually, so if you're single in this house tonight, man, check out a plug for uh, the postscript. Brandon and, and Eric did a fantastic uh, article earlier this week. But man, for you married couples, a wife is a good thing, amen? Amen! All right. A wife is a good thing, but if I find my identity in my wife, if she is the source of my happiness and my fulfillment, then she has become my idol. Now, I love my wife, right? She's a, she's a good-looking woman. You know, she's, she's kind, and, and she's patient, and she's hardworking, and she's a lot of things that I'm not. Uh, she's, you know, my best friend, my help me, but she does not complete me, right? Jerry McGuire lied to us, y'all, right? <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, like, go watch Jerry McGuire, okay? There's some good one lines in that. Wyatt, it's you. <laughs> right? She does not complete me. She can't. Right? I don't exist for her and she doesn't exist for me, right? We exist to serve the Lord together. A job is a good thing, right? We're commanded to work. But if I find my purpose, if I find my identity in a career, then my job, my career has become an idol. Right? If I'm Jason White, engineer before I am Jason White, son of God, then my job and my career has become an idol. Right? Like much of the world today, the church globally has embraced many idols. 
right? Our spouses, our families, our education, our careers, money, possession, all of these things can become idols. Race, gender, political association are all idols that we find in the church today because believers find their identity in such and not in Christ. When believers spend more time arguing and posting their political opinions on Facebook than they do sharing the Gospel, then our political opinions have become our idols. Now, I'm not throwing rocks because I can be guilty of those things too. And all of us can. And and it's ultimately the result of failing to walk as and to make disciples. Idolatry, it's the most common type of sin that is mentioned in all of Scripture. Right? It's often spoken of and it is always condemned. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Right? When we fail to make disciples, it results in generations of living breathing, walking idolaters that find their source and their well-being and their identity in anyone or anything but Christ. And we're almost done here. Go back to our passage. What I want you to see here is God's response to this. Verse 14, it says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. It says, Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. And failing to make disciples, Israel forsook the Lord. They served idols, and thereby they invited God's wrath upon them. They forfeited his blessings to them, and they pitted themselves against him. Verse 14, it says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He was greatly grieved with them. And not only that, but in forsaking him, they forsook his blessings upon them. God delivered them into the hand of their enemies, and as we read, they suffered greatly. Untold lives lost. Decades upon decades of servitude and oppression. You know, Israel was like believers today. Israel was meant to live a life of victory. But they forsook God, and in doing so, they forfeited His blessings. And they invited His chastisement upon them. Verse 15 says, Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. And that ought to make us tremble. Right? The idea of pitting ourselves against God and forcing His hand against us. 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. We must know this, that all it would take, all it would take is for the Lord to remove his hand from us, to completely undo us. All it would take is God removing his blessings from us to completely undo us. The God that created all of this, right? That spoke you into existence. You know that he could completely undo all of us in an instant, right? Now, God is merciful. But don't mistake His mercy for indifference. God is merciful. He is. But God is also holy and God is just. And when we forsake Him and when we do evil, we force His hand against us and we invite His chastisement upon us. So I pray tonight that every one of us would consider the cost. Consider what it will cost if we fail to make disciples. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that every one of us, every believer here, is one day going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and when we do, we're going to be judged not for our sins, but for our service to the Lord and to the mission that He's called us to. And if that alone isn't enough, Consider what it will cost your children. And consider what it will cost their children and their children and their children and their children should the Lord tarry. Brothers and sisters, we cannot fail at the mission that God has given us. We cannot be content to serve Him while failing to carry out the mission that He has called us to. The stakes are simply too high. By the grace of God, we must endeavor to make disciples. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your word and your goodness towards us. Father, it's a, it is a sobering, sobering message and, and one that's difficult to hear and difficult to see. But Lord, if we're honest, every one of us is or has been or could be right where Israel was. Every one of us has that in us. So Lord, don't let us take your words lightly. Don't let your words fall to the ground. Father, convict us to live out the Great Commission. To take the gospel to every nation, Lord, to invest the things that you've given us in those who you've put into our lives from our children to our neighbors to our co-workers to anybody who will hear. Father, let us be faithful to take the things that you've given us and commit those to others. Lord, we ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.